Hey everybody, welcome back to We Are Movies. As always, I'm Johnny Mockney, and this is the final episode of Spooky Season. I'm going to keep this intro short and sweet because we have a long, messy episode ahead of us, and what is a holiday here at We Are Movies without a long, messy episode? And I could not have done it without my longest and messiest friends, Brett Hayden and Mike Bobbitt. If you're a fan of the podcast, you're a fan of them, and uh, if you're new here, welcome. Uh, We talked about our top three favorite horror scenes sequels of all time uh, and then we also got into our honorable mentions and we each pitched our own horror sequels that we think should happen um things were fun things were fast and loose i think i went insane towards the end you'll see that i, I just totally started forgetting where we were <laughs> um and uh mike doesn't let me hear the end of that so um mike also shares plenty of stories about meeting famous people of course and uh brett is there to uh, keep a level head to things so um i had a incredible time as always with these two and i hope you do too so without any further ado please enjoy this very special and very spooky episode of we are movies As always, for for newcomers, we should just make sure everyone knows whose voice is who. We'll go in order of age. He's returning from the podcast. Probably, you were actually the uh, most recurring guest on We Are Movies. Uh, I have Brett Hayden here with me. Hello. I am the most recurring guest, Brett Hayden. (laughs) And it's that charm that has kept you coming back. It's that Uh, monotone charm. (laughs) uh, And then uh, you know him, you love him. Uh, Mike Bobbitt is here as well. I'm the old man. (laughs) This is what I sound like. Now this goes on the AM radio, eh? Your your old man voice is very similar to Dickie Ricketts. It's... No, Dickie Ricketts is a bad uh, uh, Steve Stone Cold Steve Austin imitation. Oh, it's yeah. like, you know, all right, we're going to talk about the motion pictures. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's just a good Steve Austin impression. Yeah. <laughs> uh... Who are you fooling? Um... I'm a rattlesnake. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if like Stone Cold was slightly effeminate. <laughs> that would be dicky that's a really good way to pitch the voice i think that's yeah yeah you nailed it i um where in real life you're you're more like um i you're, you're just masculine stone cold steve austin <laughs> ah that is the first time in 49 years i've been called masculine <laughs> thank you so much no no problem yeah you come on here you get compliments we treat our guests right <laughs> here at we are movies uh, <laughs> uh so we're we're talking about horror sequels today um we each chose three horror sequels and i assume we have some honorable mentions as well uh i made a list of like six just in case there were crossovers and stuff and Mm. i'd have a backup to fall on um and then at the end of this we will pitch a horror sequel that we think should be made um first i wanted to ask you guys uh what do you think makes a good horror sequel do you think there is a specific formula or do you think uh or do you think it all depends um go ahead mike for me i'm noticing with my list and even um well one of my honorable mentions it's um 
going completely in a different direction. It's not rehashing what has already been done. It is um, making bold choices. Mm. So that's it for me. Yeah. And I feel like if you're going to, you know, and this, I think, transcends to any genre is if you're going to do a sequel to something like you can sure you can make nods to the first movie or the previous movie if it's like an installment in like a greater series um but it should be different enough that you don't feel like you're watching the same movie sure um and you know there's some exceptions where like the sequel it's like its own thing you know i'm not going to say a specific movie in general in case it comes up because it actually might or in case that movie listens yes <laughs> um yeah don't want them tweeting about this after this um but yeah it definitely like mike said it should be you know something like different or something more than what the original or what a previous installment was going for it should be it's like its own thing is it a good enough like movie like standalone from being a sequel to something then yeah. I would say that's like my minimum. I feel like. Yeah. No. I um. I agree, and I think um. I I would just add that like something that I think improves upon aspects of the original or the previous film is always good. Whether it means if there's a lore to dive into, um, expounding on that. I think too often sequels kind of think the rules we set up in the first movie that's all we have you know or like it's okay to add more things it's okay to like to give us new information and to delve into more things and i think that oftentimes like sequels play it safe and they go we don't want to <clears throat> we don't want to piss anybody off so we're just going to kind of keep this very in line with what you'd expect and um we want to do what already worked before right exactly yeah yeah we just redo and then one thing i noticed very interesting is if you get like a long gap sequel a movie that a sequel that comes many many years after that i feel like that's a lot more common because they know which elements have become classic of that first movie and they know what people really love whereas if it's like if it comes out a year or two later it hasn't quite settled in the popular consciousness as yet so it's more of a wild card like an earlier sequel i think um so Let's get into it. Uh, we'll go in the reverse order of uh, how everybody introduced themselves. Uh, we'll start with Mike. What is... Uh, Why do you do that every time? Wait, what's that? <laughs> you always make me go first. <laughs> it's a tradition oh. at this point. I um, mean, we can we can mix it up if you want to. I mean, if you want no, to come no, on the podcast. No, no, it's okay. Uh, also, yeah. another ingredient I think makes a, a sequel good is um, uh, nudity, both no. male and female. Yep. Um, okay, so <laughs> first one, I don't have a, you know what, I'm going to do in order of youngest to oldest, <laughs> just like you introduced us. <laughs> so the most recent movie I have is 2005's The Devil Reject, The Devil's Rejects, um, Rob Zombie making you root for the family by the end, who does horrible things throughout the movie. But then, you know, particularly at the end, you're kind of rooting for these people um, from House of a Thousand Corpses. Hold up. I will go on the record and say that 
Devil's Rejects is definitely my favorite in that series of horror movies. Yeah, out of that the Firefly trilogy by yeah. Rob Zombie. Yeah. Uh, no, I agree. I mean, I'll be totally honest. I so the Devil's Rejects was on my my master list. Okay. And uh I I I don't like House of a Thousand Corpses very much. I think it's kind of a grating like annoying experience. <laughs> uh, yeah, it feels like a Texas Chainsaw Massacre ripoff to me, and I haven't seen the the third in the trilogy yet, um, but I hope to soon. Yeah, well, and it's one of those like where the, I mean, my distaste for the first one doesn't matter at all because Devil's Rejects, kind of like what Brett was saying, stands on its own. Yeah, exactly. I, when he was saying that, I was thinking, oh, yeah, that's definitely the case with this one. I actually saw Devil's Rejects before I saw House. I thought it was just a standalone good horror movie. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. Amazing soundtrack, too, because it's it takes place in oh, the 70s. Yeah. Like the way it, it's it's probably the best use of Freebird ever. Yeah. And Freebird's been used a few times. And mm-hmm. so it is saying something. But yeah, great use of Freebird. Um, the uh, <coughs> excuse me. Uh, the way it starts off with um, a Midnight Rider by the Allman Brothers band. I, it's like, especially because I watched those movies back to back the first time I watched them. And it's like this breath of fresh air where you have that opening scene and then Midnight Rider starts over the credits. And it's this like, like, oh, this is totally something different. Like, you feel that, like, we're about... To, like, I love when the opening credits of a movie kind of gives you that feeling of, like, all right, here we go, you know? Yeah. If that makes sense. And yeah. before we started recording, too, you were talking about Sid Haig being one of the nicest people that you've ever met. So, all the right, late... Man. Yeah. The late, great Sid Haig. Yeah, he was a yeah. convention mainstay. If you went to a horror oh, yeah. convention, it's very likely he was there. Uh, yeah, and it's after his horror stuff that i really discovered the bot like how deep his body of work is yeah. and man that was a guy who you know has been around forever and has done everything and you know just so cool i i never did get to meet him but uh i'm glad that you did and you said that he was awesome well uh yeah because he had that long career with like jack hill and was in a lot of those like pam greer movies mm-hmm. uh, with him and i i think my favorite thing about rob zombie i have mixed feelings on him as a filmmaker i think the devil's rejects is his masterpiece like easily um it's got that like sense of humor a little bit to it um it's got more of a it's what it kind of blows my mind that it played in your local multiplex in 2005 because it's Mm -hmm. it's it's gross like it for that for a movie that would do that you know and and the main characters are so depraved and there's no light at all in the movie even the you know ostensibly the good guy is uh william forsyth's character who's just a despicable sheriff um but i i was gonna say that uh my favorite thing about rob zombie is that he casts these old like one would say washed up actors like these people that did a lot of maybe they had one or two hits back in the day where they were kind of a genre star and now they're those people that hang around conventions a lot and Oftentimes directors put them in movies as like stunt casting. Like you'll see, you know, D Wallace will be in one scene in a sci-fi channel movie or something as like a reference. But like I Rob Zombie picks these actors and gives them really good stuff to work with and makes them like the main characters of the movie. Like you have Sid Haig, you have Bill Mosley, who was known for uh, playing Chop Top and Texas Chainsaw Part Two. Uh, yeah. 
and uh, Michael Berryman and like all from Hills Have Eyes and all these people show up and they're they're actually like given good material and they give good performances. It's kind of like him. It's like what Tarantino did with like John Travolta, but to like even a greater extent, because these people were never huge stars and yeah. he's saying like, Oh no, these people are good. They're good actors. Like they can do this, you know, that's yeah, I like always all, love that. And the fact, yeah, it's like, it kind of shows like how much of a, like, even if you don't like his body of work that much, like Rob Zombie's like, uh, like he is a film guy. Yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Like he's he's definitely watched enough movies to be like, why isn't this guy more famous? Or like, why why doesn't this guy work more? Like him being able to pick out these people that maybe you know flew under the radar, and he's just like, oh, I think you give this guy something, he'll really sink his teeth into it. And uh, also low key, Diamond Dallas Page is in The Devil's Rejects. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny how good like wrestlers can be in horror movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I love and there's something that's a little post Tarantino to some of the scenes like I think about like when uh, the guy comes in who's like an expert on the Marx Brothers uh, <laughs> and uh, and then like he insults Elvis and then William Forsythe's character gets very serious and he's like you say one more like you say one more like a uh, slandering word about Elvis Aaron Presley and he's just like he gets very defensive about him and then um, I I also wanted to mention, as far as the actors that are used, uh, one of Rob Zombie's recurring guys, Ken Forey, um, who's yeah. sort of the Lando Calrissian of the movie, <laughs> uh, the you know the friend that helps them, betrays them, then helps them again. Uh, and um, he was another actor known for. Uh, oh, whoops. Okay, we're gonna have to stop and restart again in no a problem. little bit. But uh, he was also an actor that was known for. Um, I like you know he did dawn of the dead and then like from beyond and then didn't really have a huge hit and then you know he puts him in his movie and he's great and the devil's rejects um yeah and um rob zombie uses uh danny roebuck periodically too mm. and you know we're talking about people from conventions and stuff i met dan roebuck at a uh radio thing and he's just a guy who loves Halloween and like the holiday. And uh, I just imagine that he and Rob Zombie must have met each other. And Rob Zombie was probably like, oh, I really like hanging out with this guy. Or maybe Rob Zombie saw the river's edge and was just like, man, Daniel Roebuck should have gotten more work. <laughs> and uh, so I like it that he puts him in stuff periodically. So, yeah. Yeah, I'm not a, I'm not a huge I'm with you guys. Uh, I think Rob Zombie is eh, as a filmmaker, but this is definitely his best. And I'm not like a big Rob Zombie music fan either. Uh, but man, he seems like a guy I would really like to be friends with. Yeah. Yeah. Even if you don't like his movies, you definitely want to hang out with him. Yeah. Uh, yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Um, and, and you see a lot of interviews with him and like, uh, He's in like Eli Roth's history of horror and stuff. And he just really knows what he's talking about. And you're like, yeah, I'd love to talk, just like talk about horror movies with him or something, you know? Yeah. There's a new horror series coming out on shutter uh, starting October 26th. This month. Oh, so yeah. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Um, one second guys. I want to see if I can, uh, cause I totally thought that I had the time. <laughs> I totally thought I had the upgraded version of zoom and that I wouldn't, um be faced with this <laughs> but 
Um, While you take care of that, Mike, have you watched any of the uh, like uh, Shutter exclusive movies they've put out in the last couple of years? I completely forgot that I had Shutter until yesterday, actually. Oh, okay. Wow. And I was like, oh yeah, I subscribed to Shutter. <laughs> Whoops. There is. I'm trying to remember the name of it. I already lost it, but like. I watched one the other day. It's a very minimalist horror movie. It's uh, it's called the something. It's it's like this Jewish thing where uh, there you like basically when someone dies, their body's in a casket, and somebody like watches the body overnight. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, I, I can't remember what it's called, but yeah, but yeah. I watched that. That's a very cool minimalistic. Uh, like a guy who's like he's like in charge of doing that for the night but he's also dealing with like some trauma and like PTSD mm. at the same time. So it's kind of conflicting with like, like this weird supernatural thing that's going on while he's watching this body, so to speak. It's very cool. And it's okay. a different sort of minimal. And it's like under 90 minutes, which is nice. Yeah. So definitely. I, oh, sorry. I, I was just going to say they did their, they just did, or they're about to put out a new VHS movie too, VHS 94. And it's Ooh. getting good early reviews. They're saying it's actually like, it feels like, because I think the last VHS movie was like kind of bad, but this viral? one was, yeah, viral was pretty trash. <laughs> uh, but they're saying this one's actually really good and it feels like a return for the movies. And uh, and it's it takes place in 1994. So it's kind of got the, I guess we're into 90s nostalgia now. We're past the 80s. So yeah, <laughs> let's move on to Brett. What have you got for your first choice? Well, it was funny because you brought it up right before uh we had to pause to fix this uh zoom meeting we were in the middle of to start it over uh my first pick is vhs2 oh <laughs> it is one of my just favorite horror movies in general it's i love anthology horror movies just in general like even if they're a mixed bag the fact that it's just like a bunch of short films by just a bunch of really creative people i think those are my favorite things to watch around halloween time and i think this was i thought the first one was really good i really did i liked even like the ones that are the shorts that like people didn't particularly like uh the succubus one or whatever was the standout for sure Yes. It was the most interesting. That was what like, are the segments in VHS 2? Uh, I actually wanted to, I have a little note because I go through like, like just like the first movie, it's got the prologue and the epilogue where like they yeah. put in the tapes and like all that kind of stuff goes the wrap down. around. Yeah. But like the first one is like the guy gets the thing in his eye. It's actually Adam Wingard playing the guy who's, mm -hmm. you know, you're next, the guest, uh, Death Note. Did he uh, direct that short too? I don't remember off the top of my head. I'll look it up. This might be a quick IMDb search, but that's a great first short. Uh, and then there's the one, uh, the guy's going for a bike ride and basically finds a zombie, gets bit. And then it's just like a POV shot of a zombie, like a guy wearing a GoPro. And it's just like from the zombie's perspective. <laughs> that's and such a good one. It's so funny and cheesy. And then like, I mean, spoilers. Uh, but like the zombie, like just invading a little kid's birthday party is yeah. just so funny. Mm -hmm. Like it's horrifying on their behalf, but knowing the context of this, just this guy who's basically figuring out how to be a zombie and getting to see it through his eyes and just, yeah, it's just fun, campy sort of cheese. And then safe Haven. I remember this one by name because it's like just incredible. Uh, it's one of just the best like horror, like shorts I've ever yeah. seen. 
just like infiltrating this cult and just like the tension they build because you don't really know what's going on and then you get to the end and then you figure out what's actually going on and i would just say like if like that movie like i would almost like i wish that was a full-length movie yeah because that is just like an incredible short it's the longest chapter of the movie too i think it's oh, like yeah. 30 minutes or so like yeah it feels dense yeah i think it's like it clocks in somewhere between 25 to 30 minutes but yeah it's i'd highly recommend if you watch any part or any chapter of that movie that's definitely like the short i would recommend the most and then the last one is just i think it's literally called slumber party alien abduction hmm. it is yep yeah and uh so yeah it basically is like a pov like i think it's on the dog as i yes. recall yep yeah there's like a camera on the dog and it's just like the like pov like of at a slumber party and then you know there's an alien invasion and that one's just kind of fun yeah. like it's like it's definitely got scary parts but it is kind of a fun sort of not so much stranger things kind of thing but almost whenever you're at a sleepover or like a big slumber party there is kind of uh you always kind of find a way to scare yourselves because you're kids yeah. and you're just like looking for that sense of like adventure and like terror. And that one kind of brought back a lot of those memories living on a farm of just like, or living in the middle of nowhere and you know, something crazy, like are there aliens? And like, yeah, I think there are shorts in the first one that I think are better than a lot of the stuff in the second one. But I think as like a complete movie, I think the second one is more consistent all the way through. Yeah, I, I would agree. I mean, I think v, I think it's in terms of consistency, VHS two is like one of the, if not the best, like horror anthology of all time. Because most of them have a weak link. Most yeah. of them have at least one that's really bad. And like, I mean, like the weakest part of VHS two is maybe the wraparound, but it takes up so little of the story. Um, and but yeah, no, you're right. That Safe Haven one, which is directed by Gareth Evans, who did The Raid um oh is such an amazing i actually didn't show. know that okay yeah yeah and then adam wingard did do the one that he stars in and then uh the wraparound is directed by um simon barrett who is uh, adam wingard's uh uh writing partner i'm sorry i don't actually have like a notice the wraparound the uh the zombie one no the wraparound is the um de private detective and his assistant <laughs> like looking through these tapes oh i'm sorry uh, yeah i was thinking too hard about this um yeah no, I definitely, and I don't know if you guys are aware, I'm sure you are, but uh, they actually put out a thing where like, you know how a lot of movies, they come out with a Blu-ray DVD combo. Yeah. They actually came out with a Blu-ray DVD and VHS. Like, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's awesome. Almost, that is so cool to me because it yeah. almost made me want to like find one of my old TVs with the VHS player built in and watch VHS 2 through yeah. a VHS. <laughs> Something about horror and the grittiness of it, it kind of is like, man, I should have, I really should have kept a lot of those tapes. Yeah. I feel like Allison will listen to this and correct me on it, but I think I've only seen the first VHS movie. And okay. I can imagine sitting in the car with her, listening to this episode in the future. And she says, we watched all three of them together. So. <laughs> well, the, these are both great. The first two are great. I'd, I'd say skip viral. And then apparently the new one's good. Yeah. Um, that's what about a great you, choice. Johnny? Yeah, that was a fantastic choice, Brett. Um, I didn't even, you, you want to know something that VHS2 didn't even cross my mind, but yeah, that's a, 
a really good choice. I'm going to say, um, let me pull up my list again real quick. I'm going to go with the movie. I got a couple of heavy hitters on, on here. I've got movies that are sequels to very important classic films and that were very bold in this decision. And I think that goes without saying for this first one, uh, Psycho 2. Um, okay. Psycho 2 is a fantastic movie. Have either of you seen it? Mm-hmm. I have, yes. but it's been yeah. 10 plus years. Okay. Uh, I love Psycho 2. I think it's it's about as good as a Psycho sequel could be. I think everything about it seems like it's going to be terrible because it came out many years after the original Psycho. Um, I want to say 25 years. No, 20, 22 years, I think, or something like that. But um, it was the 1980s. Uh, we were getting into that slasher boom at the end of the 70s and the early 80s there were tons of slashers and so um they were quickly like uh i forget what company it is but they were like oh what what properties do we have and they pulled out oh we have psycho we could do another norman bates movie and they were originally going to do a made for tv movie starring christopher walken until they got uh anthony perkins back to play norman bates right so it came out theatrically. Um, it's directed by Richard Franklin, who was a Hitchcock protege. Uh, so, like, it's very, like, the people behind the camera, they're not hacks. Like, there's a lot of really good people at the helm. It's, so it's directed by him. He also did a movie called Road Games with Jamie Lee Curtis. Have you ever seen that? Uh, it's shot by Dean Cundy, who was John Carpenter's cinematographer. He did The Thing and Halloween. Uh, he also went on to do Back to the Future, uh, Jurassic Park, Um and then also written by uh, Tom Holland, uh, who also did uh, Fright Night and um, Child's Play, the original Child's Play. Um, yes. And so really good group of people, creative people. Anthony Perkins returns, uh, Vera Miles returns from the original movie too. And it's just one of those great movies where it like, when I say like a move, a great sequel kind of builds on what's in the first movie, it's all of this character study of Norman. Cause we begin, cause if you, when you watch Psycho, you don't know anything about Norman until the end is where you totally understand what's happening with him and his mother and where he is internally. And Psycho 2 is this really like sweet movie. I think that believes in like, um, it's about rehabilitation and about people's unwillingness to accept rehabilitation and like mental health stigma and all of this stuff and how it's the that it's people's unwillingness to accept this rehabilitation that leads to more horrible things happening altogether um mm -hmm. and then i and i just think very well made great uh uh, Dennis Franz plays a character that you can't wait to see get murdered, and that is a, <laughs> is a good scene with that. I mean, you you can't touch Hitchcock's Psycho like it's Alfred Hitchcock, obviously, but I think with such an ambitious decision as to make a sequel to, you know, one of the greatest movies of all time by like one of the one of the if not the greatest director of all time uh, films, um, I think they did a really great job. And um, uh, honestly, if you watch him as like a double bill, I think. Uh, one th great thing is Norman Bates kind of has this great arc across the movies. Uh, and then Vera Miles as well, her character, uh, who is sort of, you know, she's Marion's sister from the first movie. Uh, she has this great, she's much more interesting in the sequel, I think, where she is like 
this new domineering mother to her daughter played by Meg Tilly. And she's sort of the villain of the movie, interestingly enough. And I think there's just a lot done with those characters. It's so interesting and goes way beyond just like trying to recreate what happened in the first movie. I'm trying to remember who it was, who what? Oh, um, no. uh, Someone from the movie, it might've been Tom Holland was on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast uh, and gave a little bit of insight about it. And I'm not 100% positive on who the guest was, but they were talking about how Anthony Perkins really wanted to direct this. Yes. And, um, you know, wasn't allowed to, and was kind of difficult, but then he realized that the movie and the character were in good hands and uh, was kind of protective of Norman Bates and the legacy of the first film, but was won over during the production of this because Psycho 2 is a very good movie. So, yeah, great choice. I'm great glad choice. I'm glad you said that. I just wanted to say, because when you nodded that you had seen it, my first thought was, oh, he hates it. He's going to think this is a weird <laughs> choice. No, Sorry, Brett. A, no, it's. I was going to comment on something you had touched on, is take how iconic the original Psycho is like take how iconic that movie is out of the picture. I think it would, people would be more receptive to it as a sequel. It's kind of like the equivalent of like, they made a sequel to just basically any Hitchcock movie. If they made a sequel to North by Northwest or (laughs) rear window or vertigo, you just take any iconic movie making a sequel. It's just, especially something like, like as iconic as psycho it's just like that music and that getting stabbed in the shower like there's so many iconic things that are still like used or like spoofed today that you take that if you can get that out of your head and you just watch it as a movie you realize this is like what we touched on earlier too is just a great standalone movie and when you compare it to all the other psycho sequels i believe there's three of them there's three sequels plus and then a, a remake, remake and with then Vince Vaughn. <laughs> yep, and then a failed TV show and then a successful TV show. <laughs> Is which which one's the successful? Bates Motel. So they were both called Bates Motel. There was okay. one that was that starred um, what's what's his name from Harold and Maude. I, I, Bud Court. Bud Court. It starred Bud Court, and it, it was only a pilot. But then the successful one with Vera Farmiga is mm. pretty big. <laughs> that's a no that's an excellent pick yeah that's really awesome thank you and I, I, sorry go ahead uh when i was a kid we went to universal studios when they were filming psycho 3 and anthony perkins happened to be out and came up to our tram and i had polaroids of anthony perkins saying hi to everyone when we lived in la i they had a an actor playing Norman Bates basically in front of the Bates Motel on the uh, Universal Studios tram tour. And now I am no longer positive it was Anthony Perkins and <laughs> maybe just an actor <laughs> dress. Like in my mind, I was like, oh yeah, no, they were filming parts of Psycho 3 and you know, there were, no, he would have been in a trailer. He wouldn't have just been sitting out there, but <laughs> I, I don't know. It's nice to remember as though it was Tony Perkins. For, I would you know? like to believe that it was. And he's, I mean, he is this amazing in Psycho too. Like, I feel like he is, while so much of the first movie is carried by it just being Hitchcock and the twisty storytelling, Psycho 2 is a movie that for the most part, besides like a twist at the end, you kind of know 
the deal you know what you know about norman and everything and it's all carried by his performance and he brings a lot of empathy to the character um and as a fun fact you pointed out he was interested in directing the second movie which i actually didn't know that story you said about him knowing it was in good hands i thought that was really sweet um Mm -hmm. he did end up directing psycho 3 which is a mixed bag of a movie but beautifully directed i think so i do think he he had some talent um so let's go on to mike again What's your next one? All right. The middle child, the Johnny Mockney of my movies. Uh, (laughs) Wes Craven's New Nightmare. Uh, It's two years before he did the more famous meta scream movie. And I'm a big fan of meta. And this is definitely that. Uh, You know, the idea is that Freddy Krueger is uh, coming after the people who made the original Nightmare on Elm Street and it stars a lot of the people like Heather Langenkamp as herself. And I thought it was a very creative um, movie. I haven't revisited it in a long time, so I don't know how well it was executed uh, or I can't remember how well it was executed, but I definitely have a lot of nostalgic uh, feelings about it and uh, feel like it was a real creative way to continue the franchise uh which at that point had gotten kind of stale so 1994 is Wes Craven's new nightmare damn yeah no I uh I haven't revisited a lot of this just the sequels in general I feel like it's funny because most people know Freddy Krueger and know a nightmare on Elm Street but they don't realize just how many sequels there actually are yeah. And New Nightmare is kind of at the tail end, I feel like. Yeah. I think, yeah. It was the last one before Freddy versus Jason. Yeah. And that mm-hmm. came out in what, like 2003, four yeah. or something? Yeah. So yeah. that was a decade later. <laughs> it so, was a while later. Yeah. 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 And uh, no, I don't, rem- I don't, I can't get too into detail about New Nightmare just because, again, I haven't seen it in so many years. But I think people like, uh, they know who Freddy is. They know A Nightmare on Elm Street. But I don't think, I think a lot of people are missing out on just how fun and campy and cheesy a lot of the sequels are. Yeah. yeah. And this is definitely one of those where you don't have to know the Nightmare on Elm Street fa- franchise in order to like this movie. If you just have the premise of, hey, these people made a horror movie 10 years prior and the character from that horror movie has come back in real life. Yeah. to haunt the makers of the movie that alone is a pretty good standalone premise yeah and, and i mean i'll i'll be up front i think that the nightmare on elm street franchise is maybe my favorite horror franchise like i think it's the one that is the most consistent where each movie is entertaining like at the very least like every there's an imagination to all the movies uh that really keeps them fresh i think even when they're some are less good than others but um yeah, by the time you get to that one, you, especially if you're like marathoning them, you're a little mm-hmm. worn out. You're yeah. worn out because the last movie you just watched is Freddy's Dead, which is just a little bit of a sensory overload. Overload. And is then, that the one with the 3D segment? Yeah, yeah. It's also yeah. the one where where Freddy puts a guy in a video game and uh, makes the guy die in the video game, and it cuts to Freddy going like, "I beat my high score." Uh, which is a great moment, but that's also the one that has, that has Roseanne and Tom Arnold in it for some reason. But okay. anyway, 
uh new nightmare it's like you get to that and it's the first time wes craven's directed since the first movie uh oh. <clears throat> first time he's been involved since uh um the third one which he wrote and um uh yeah it brings back heather langenkamp john saxon also um and all right rest in peace the great john saxon i have also met heather langenkamp at a convention she was wonderful too but uh it's uh yeah you're right when you said it was pre-scream it feels like he's winding up for scream you know like yeah uh but yeah very clever movie he even wes craven even plays himself in the movie too which is fun and uh i did not realize until looking up a little bit of stuff for each of these movies it seems like there are almost as many freddy krueger fan films as there are star wars fan films Mm -hmm. (laughs) there are a ton of them and i bet there's probably a handful of really good ones too yeah (laughs) that's funny i I bet yeah i bet there's a couple in there that aren't unwatchable yeah (laughs) uh brett what's your next choice Let's keep the Wes Craven love going. Uh, Scream 2. I love the Scream franchise. And you want to just talk about like just fun, like cheesy, at times scary, but just fun this time of year sort of horror thriller. Like that's just the Scream franchise. It's just like it was like one of the first like major studio sort of things where they were spoofing the horror genre. And like the whole whodunit sort of thing. And they make fun of horror sequels in the sequel. And it was cool to see, like it starts, the movie starts basically, they're in a theater watching Scream. You know, yeah. of course it's not the same movie Stab. title. The movie. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, and it's just like you, you, there's a new person, like they, people talk about all the time, like um, when we were talking about, uh, like it's got to be different than the first one and the way it's different is there's a new person like you can take elements from the first movie but it's still got to be a different enough movie and what it was was basically all right there's a new ghost face mm. and then that's the fun part is like all right who's doing it this time and you know and there's still all the funny familiar characters neve campbell is still as cute as ever and you're rooting for her and you know you still got you got dewey played by david arquette and you know courtney cox is still very annoying and like <laughs> but still great and i don't know man i watch the scream franchise i feel like every halloween it's kind of just a mainstay for me personally right. so and I, I if i watch the first one i have to watch the second one and i think that alone ha- it like has to be brought up for that Jamie Kennedy is Randy returns also in the second. Yeah. Uh, which is, I feel like for all of us, the surrogate character in these oh, yeah. <laughs> movies. <laughs> um, I, yeah. I like scream Two a lot. I think it's, um, I expands on the, like, especially that first scene, which you mentioned where you have Jada Pinkett Smith and Omar Epps going into the movie theater, which is, set up like this is the scene from the first movie where we have a famous actor who's going to die before the title pops up and then but yeah when you have the first scene from the first movie happening in stab and it's heather graham playing the drew barrymore role uh it it definitely it's those movies get more comedic with each one and then i think they're kind of brought home a little bit more in the fourth one but um yeah i enjoy i i watched all these movies again very recently i actually um 
I'll cut this out because I don't know. Uh, this is kind of personal, but uh, I, I showed them all to Gracie from Salsa Parlor recently, and uh, uh, but I just had like a blast watching them all uh, again. They're all just very watchable. Yeah, that's actually a good point. Like, uh, I mean, you can cut this out too because like people are not going to get the context. But I feel like the Scream franchise. There's a lot of people who don't like watching horror movies. Maybe they like they're uncomfortable watching them. It's too scary or like, you know, there's things that happen in them that brings back some sort of trauma or whatever. I think even like Scream, even like with the violence and stuff, it's so fun. I think it's just a good like get your friends together and watch a movie. Like I definitely think the Scream franchise is definitely like one of those fun. It's raining outside. We can't go out. Let's let's stay in. Let's order pizza, get some drinks and like Mm. just have fun watching a spooky movie. Absolutely. It's, it's <laughs> horror movie comfort food. Yeah. Yes. That. Yeah. I like uh, Timothy Oliphant is in that movie too. Early Timothy Oliphant performance. Yeah. Uh, and Sarah Michelle Geller. Jerry uh, O'Connell. Jerry O'Connell. That's I, one thing I love about the screen movies. It's like, Oh, these are a lot of names that meant something at some point. Yeah. 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 Liev Schreiber. Like (laughs) Yeah, Jerry O'Connell was sitting there going, he's just like, All right, my my ticket's coming. And then like after this, I think he did like Kangaroo Jack or something. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um (laughs) anyway, uh Jerry O'Connell come on the podcast. Um (laughs) he's got the time. He he definitely has the time. Don't lie to me, Jerry. Don't tell me you don't have the time. Uh so with that, I'm going to go to another sequel to an all-time classic, uh, <clears throat> and that is The Exorcist Three. Ah, oh, you took Ooh. one of mine. Did I? Oh, okay. Good. Good. I'm glad yeah. you have backups. I uh, yeah. yeah I, I, I picked The Exorcist Three, uh, written and directed by William Peter Blatty, the author of the original book, The Exorcist, as well as the sequel, Legion, which this movie was based on. Um, I mean, it's unfortunate that it's titled the way it is because he re- he wrote and filmed it as Legion, just an adaptation of the book. Right. And then the studio was like, oh no, we wanted this to be an Exorcist sequel, even though Exorcist Two: The Heretic was famously terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people hated it. It was laughed out of the theaters. Um, and then, so he was really working uphill with this movie. And it's just an incredible, like, it, it feels like pre like seven a little bit silence of the lambs where it's like the serial killer movie like a procedural and you have george c scott in the lead who is just off the chain in this movie like he has so many great like meaty scenes where he's just he like hates everybody he works with and he's just so stressed all the time it's like that scene in um that famous scene in uh, uh hardcore where he's like turn it off it's like that but the whole movie he's at that <laughs> energy uh but then it's also like a clever movie it's a funny movie there's a lot of good banter um and it's a totally different vibe from the first exorcist which uh william friedkin with that movie was trying to do something that was sort of this very realistic take on what a demonic possession would be like and then exorcist 3 is kind of like an idiosyncratic horror movie it leads more into like the horror thriller the genre elements of the movie there's that incredible famous jump scare that's in the movie it's probably the most famous part um and uh brad dorif also amazing in the movie he plays uh the gemini killer uh character and just 
the the scenes with him it's like it's like Hannibal Lecter scenes where it's just like you're just drawn into like every single word he's saying and he's so disgusting but so enticing too and um uh yeah i just i love the movie a lot and i think william peter blatty did not direct a lot of movies but um it's one of those movies you watch it and you're like this i wish i'd seen 10 more movies from him have you seen the um definitive cut uh that was released in 2016 and how different is it because i don't know that i've seen that version of it yeah, so Scream Factory recently put out that release, I guess a couple of years ago now. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I'll be honest, I like the theatrical cut more. Um, okay. So one thing is the studio, <coughs> excuse me, the studio forced William Peter Blatty to add more exorcist elements to the movie. So they added in, for one thing, they added in Jason Miller, who played Father Karras in the original exorcist to kind of give it a mm. connecting tissue uh so because the whole point is the body of karis is possessed by the gemini killer so he's he's played by jason miller and then he'll like switch to brad dorif which is kind of an interesting filmmaking technique and actually i think it's effective in the final version of the movie so the his preferred cut legion doesn't have jason miller in it and so i, I think it kind of loses some of that that personal attachment that you have with that character i, I mean if we're looking at it as a sequel that's what mm. makes it a more effective sequel. And then um, also the ending is just much better because originally it didn't end with an exorcism. It ended with a very blunt conclusion and which works, I'm sure worked in the book, but in the movie he added the obligatory exorcism scene, but it goes all out. It's an insane scene. It feels like the cl- like a real climax to a movie. And uh, just throws in a lot of visual stuff and then this amazing monologue from George C. Scott where he's like, you know, I believe in death, I believe in disease, I believe! And he's like growling and it's just, uh, yeah, I think the theatrical cut's better, but, you know, if you're a fan of the movie, Legion's worth watching at least once just to see the, you know, the original intention. Does the Scream Factory version have both on yes. the disc? Okay, yeah. good, 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 good. Cool. Have Fair you seen enough. it, Brett? Oh, yeah, well, yeah, I, uh, it was on your yeah. list. Yeah, yeah, no, I uh, they uh, when I started getting really into horror movies, uh, I think uh, any like franchise that was like in a complete box set, I just got so in mm. horror, it was pretty easy to pick those up Friday the 13th, The Nightmare on Elm Street, The Exorcist, The Omen, mm. you know, Halloween had 600 different versions released. Mm-hmm. So I think I just nabbed any one of those that I could get super cheap at Best Buy. And then, you know, I was a chubby kid who had a lot of free time in high school. So I was staying indoors, just watching movies all day. So I just kind of did that. And then, yeah, that was my discovery of Exorcist 3. And I was kind of half paying attention when I was watching it because I knew how iconic the first one was and then how shitty the second one was. So I thought it was going to be like a chain effect of like, oh, these are just going to keep getting worse and worse. And the iconic nurse scene happened and it literally, you know, it yeah. jumped. It made me like, like my heart like stopped. Cause it's, it's so quick. Yeah. And it's frightening. Like there's a lot of, there's some corny stuff in the movie and there's some legitimately scary parts. Um, yeah. And uh, also um, I, Wait, never mind. I forgot what I was going to say. I'll cut that out. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, I guess we'll move on to Mike again. What's your next choice? What's your third Looks pick? Looks like you have seven and a half minutes left. Do you want oh, to yeah. do a third? 
Yeah, well, I'll just do a third right now. We'll so do a third. Oh, we're right. doing an anthology podcast, you guys. Hey, great. Yeah. It's the VHS of podcasts. I I really like the sec the sequel that we did here. Yeah, I thought I actually like the sequel a little more than the first one. I really hope the third one lives up to the expectations of the. I hope this is our Exorcist three. I really do. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Well, my third pick. I'm examining my list again, real quick. Um, I'm gonna go with a movie that. is in my opinion one of the greatest sequels of all time and that is joe dante sorry wait no you're yeah, the, you you're going went, first yeah you just did legion yeah i just was that my third pick that was my second pick that was I your just second finished. pick yeah sorry yeah mike what is your third pick <laughs> do you have covid <laughs> i don't think so i got tested i'm fine yeah like i don't i know you're not a drug guy at all but like you (laughs) you have the attention span of a high goldfish right now (laughs) what were we just talking about uh see through the wonders of editing people won't know that we recorded three days ago and we're now just picking with editing Um, i'm just gonna make it seem like you're very mean to me and i've been very normal (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, that's normally how you do these. <laughs> um, my third pick is 1992's Army of Darkness by Michigan's own Sam Raimi. Uh doing something completely different with the Evil Dead franchise. Uh Evil Dead 2, of course, more or less being a remake of the first Evil Dead movie, but with a little bit of a comedic tone to it and a higher budget and army of darkness is straight up comedy uh it's really uh kind of goofing on the dashing leading man uh Mm -hmm. character with ash uh bruce campbell just being a completely inept buffoon uh it's not really a horror movie but it is a sequel to a horror movie uh it's an action comedy and I love it a lot. Yeah. I mean, that is kind of one of those movies. It was, I, when I was putting together my list, I felt very conflicted about, should I put evil dead Two or army of darkness, like picking one over the other. And then also factoring in, there's a good chance. Somebody's going to bring them up in this mm-hmm. because like, how can't you, but no, I uh, yeah, Army of Darkness is a great pick, and that movie is just a blast. Oh, like yeah. you said, it's just a straight comedy, pretty much, just over the top, just fun. This time of year, I think of Halloween sort of movie. Yep. Yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, I this was another one where I think like any of the Evil Dead movies could have been up for grabs. So actually, I didn't. I didn't prepare any of them on my own list, but I do. I mean, I avoided them all too. Yeah. Evil dead two is personally like to me, like my bread and butter, like that is like the perfection of the evil dead franchise. Uh, Mm -hmm. Army of darkness though. I think when people think of like, when people quote the evil dead movies, they quote that movie the most. They say, give me some sugar, baby. Uh, This is my boomstick. You know, all of those lines. Like it's definitely the most quotable. Yeah. I, you're the good ash i'm bad ash that you know hold, you're a goody two shoes like uh so many like great like especially when you know more about sam raimi and how he essentially wanted to do like a three stooges movie yes. um 
you can see that a hundred percent in Army of Darkness. Yeah, I I would argue for this over and the reason I chose this over Evil Dead 2 was because Evil Dead 2 does feel more like a remake to me than uh, a straight up sequel. Um, but yeah, a, what needs to be said about this? Go out and see it, particularly if you're from Michigan. Uh, yeah, it's. Yeah, I'm talking to you from MSU campus here. Sam Raimi's royalty. He started our started our filmmakers club that we still have to this day. So yeah. Um, yeah. Very important. My th- high school theater teacher and her husband were in a very early Sam Raimi movie called thou shall not kill except <laughs> dot, dot, dot. And uh, Sam and um, Rob Tapper, maybe uh, Sam and someone else. I always forget who was with them came and spoke at our high school and uh yeah i just uh when i graduated from specs howard also um they were starting their uh production company and i was really hoping i was going to be able to get a job there it was right around the time of like xena warrior Mm. princess and stuff like that and uh uh they ended up going with the cute girl that was in my class instead of me and uh I always think about how different my life could have been had I gotten to work for Sam Raimi back in 1991. Had you been a cute girl? I was, it's how I thought you were going to finish the sentence, but. Um. Oh, I, I've been thinking about that a lot longer than <laughs> since 1991. I'd, Ivan Raimi spoke at our school not that long ago, and I got to ask him about uh, Drag Me From Hell. Uh, oh, cool. One of my favorites by them, too. Um that being said, I think we all love Army of Darkness. I think we've, <laughs> uh, uh, was there anything you guys want to say about it before we move on? No. No, all just right. that Sam Raimi rules. <laughs> yes. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he does with Doctor Strange. I I remember when Scott Derrickson left, I was like, oh no, like, does this mean they're just going to replace him with some hack? Like some guy, because like, Oh, apparently there are creative differences. So I'm like, oh, they're just going to put a Ron Howard in the chair or something. But then they were like, oh, they picked Sam Raimi. I'm like, oh, they picked one of the greatest horror directors of all time. All right. All right. I'll take it. I didn't even know until earlier this morning that Sam Raimi was directing that. And uh, I found that out uh, very early this morning. And I'm really excited for it now. Also, Sam Raimi, a really fun physical actor, too. Like, um, we just watched a Mike Binder movie on our podcast and Mike Binder wrote and directed Indian summer that Sam Mm. Raimi just has a small part in. And he's really good in that movie too. Yeah. Uh, I'll have to watch Indian summer. You said Indian summer. Yeah. Okay. Brett, what's your next choice? My third choice, final choice, is a movie that I actually haven't watched probably like I had with my last pick. I have probably not watched it or not. I'm sorry, not like my last pick. We just had brought up a lot of our picks we hadn't seen in a while. But one of my favorite uh, sequels for a while, it was uh, my pick uh, 28 Weeks Later. Ooh. And I love 28 Days Later. So going into 28 Weeks Later, I was very excited because, you know, it was like twice the budget. You know, it had a little more star power in the movie between, um, you know, Rose Burns in it, Idris Elba's in it, 
uh, Jeremy Renner's in it. Uh, the main guy, Robert Clymer, Robert, I'm trying to remember his last name. Had him up on a, Robert Carlyle, excuse me. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah he's yeah, a, he's from... a Danny Boyle regular. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just spaced on his name. But it was cool to see because, you know, like, uh, I, like, again, like with a lot of horror sequels, you're kind of worried they're going to not live up to like the previous one. And this one was like, I was, the premise itself was interesting to me. Like the idea of like, cause they're kind of, they really did set themselves up pretty well to do a sequel. Just like, okay, it's like the same basic idea of like what's going on. People don't say it's not a zombie movie. It's an infected movie. First one was 28 days later. This one is now 28 weeks later. Now, this one was interesting just because, like I said, they had a little bit more of a budget to work with, a little more star power. And it was kind of interesting to see like where that world was at that much later in time. And like I said, I haven't seen this movie in a particularly long time. The last time I actually sat down and kind of remembered like, oh, I forgot how much I like this was uh, another comedian, uh, Louis Michael, is obsessed with like just zombies and infected movies and it's the only time he ever kind of has like a level of uh, I guess like Alex Jones kind of like I'm gonna tell you about this thing is like what talking about zombies and like yes. the apocalypse and it's definitely you know he's not saying that frogs are gay or anything but he's definitely he loves the idea of like zombies and the apocalypse and like just sitting down watching it with him and seeing just like how people react to these circumstances that stuff's always kind of been interesting to me. Like the idea of something like this were to actually happen to like this extent and seeing how people, like how human nature is in that scenario. I like thinking now that Louis is so ripped just because he's preparing himself for peak physical perfection for a zombie breakout. Well, yeah. yeah. And Louis's first episode on this podcast was Dawn of the Dead. Uh, that was, I think, the fourth episode or something that I ever did. But um, I, I, I would say Danny Boyle was kind of doing a similar thing with this movie that he did with Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, where it's like the same breakout, but just different people's perspective and sometime later. Yeah. And we kind of see how this is affecting more people over time. Um, but yeah, it's a great pick. I actually, oh gosh, I remember the first time I saw this. My friend Patrick Walsh. I showed it to me, I think before we had ever, I had ever seen 28 days later. Cause he just, it was his favorite one. And I wasn't even as in a horror as I am now. And so this was kind of one of the early ones where I remember watching this and thinking, Oh, this is sick. Like, yeah, you know, from that first scene where you have that opening sequence with kind of the guy who ends up infecting people again, after everything's under control. Uh, I just, the, the way the story unfolds is really clever. I think. It's really and we're just seven years away from 28 years later. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also, I also think it's just like cool, like uh, talking about like what made it different than the sequel was like uh, the original was shot on, um, what was the original shot on? I'm spacing on it. It was like s- s- digital. Like it looks yeah. like very old digital. <laughs> like old digital, like the early, like uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. It's like it was shot like very, like it made it look grittier. And this one was kind of like with the budget, it kind of felt like its own standalone movie in that regard. So like it definitely, mm-hmm. like even though it was part of like the same, like I guess trilogy or franchise of movies, you know, it felt different enough watching it. And I feel like you could watch that movie standalone and it's still. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. The first movie was shot on a Canon XI-1. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I'm also just in love with Rose Byrne. So just anything <laughs> she's in, which by the way, yes. kind of feel free to cut this out. Uh, low key interesting. It's not an amazing movie, but I thought it was like cute for what it was. Uh, Rose Byrne did a movie in 2009 called Adam. Okay. Are either of you familiar with it? Mm -mm. Uh, well, th there's a particular reason I decided to check it out. So basically uh, Rose Byrne falls in love or falls in love. She meets a guy who lives in her uh, apartment complex who has Asperger's and um, basically it's like a, it's like a cute sort of rom-com dramedy thing, but it's just a good Rose Byrne movie that not a lot of people have seen. And it's not, there's not even a Blu-ray release for it. It's still mm -hmm. only on DVD, but okay. would definitely recommend it. If you were looking for like, uh, you know, something to watch with the misses. It's I cute. do love Rose Byrne. Yeah, she's 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 great. Yeah, yeah she's she, also yeah. in the Insidious films too. Yes, horror franchise. I like. She should do more horror. I think she's yeah. just. I don't know if we could quite call her a scream queen at this point. <laughs> I mean, she's done enough horror. I feel like she's like a, a worthy like person to have that title. But yeah. I I like her in horror movies. She's very sympathetic, and that's like not just because she's yeah. a great actress, but she also is just like. There's something about like it's the face i think partially face, like, she's got yeah. these wide eyes like very like you you want to root for her <laughs> when you yeah. look at her in these situations you know yeah i mean i i'm trying to say this as politely as possible she's not like the stereotypical like blonde sort of like she's so like not what you expect like of like the women who get killed off in horror movies like that mm. like pamela anderson type blonde sort of lady like this, mm. this lady could be like your English teacher or she could be yeah. your mom. Like she's like just this pretty lady and you're just kind of rooting for her to just overcome whatever she's dealing with. She's my friend's mom that I have a crush on, kind of. That's, yeah, but like actually. Yeah. <laughs> she um, She's so good at comedy too. Like she's yeah. just a Neighbors. very talented performer. And um, uh your friend's mom that you have a crush on is also seven years younger than me. So hey. <laughs> yeah. but it's like it, my friend's younger sister. I have a crush. <laughs> on. No, no, no bullshit. I actually uh, met a woman where I live in Ann Arbor. Like uh, after a show, me and a few comics went out to a bar and there was a woman I swear I thought was Rose Byrne for like two seconds it wasn't, but I almost had to say, like, I almost had to go up to her and just be like, what's your name? And when she said it was something else, I really wanted to tell her. It's just like, hey, you're very pretty. I want to flirt with you right now. But I know I should. Because <laughs> <laughs> the only reason I'm doing this is because you look like someone I have a crush on. Yeah. I know nothing else about you. <laughs> so when she responded in a non-Australian accent, you're immediately like, ah. Oh. Right. She had an accent. That's what kind of threw me oh. for a loop. But oh. she now she told me her name was like Katie or something. Unless Rose Byrne was in town and lying to me. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, she, yeah. Rose, come on the podcast next time you're in town. Uh, <laughs> you don't have you don't have as much free time as Jerry O'Connell, but <laughs> <laughs> Jerry O'Connell's gonna outdo you, Brett, in terms of most appearances. It's gonna <laughs> he'll be the new co-host. I yeah. swear to God, if you let Jerry O'Connell talk about Strange Brew with you, I will be so <laughs> pissed off. 
no just do an episode <laughs> with him but like he wants to talk about all these like cool things he wants to do and all but you're you just want to talk about kangaroo jack <laughs> what was it like working with anthony anderson <laughs> like we will set a date for strange brew right after we're done recording all right i'm glad you brought, brought it up mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> we will. Uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> so why do I have uh, a feeling we're going to be talking about Strange Brew again uh, on next Halloween episode? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, so uh, I just realized that when I make myself last in this, I'm like one of those guys who gives himself a headlining spot. Um, yes, that's what I've been saying. <laughs> I, didn't I deserve to... the headlining spot. Yeah, you're the host in this case. <laughs> um, so I'm going to say uh, for my final pick, and this was very difficult. I had a few really good ones that I wanted to go with. Um, This I think is the masterpiece of a certain eighties auteur named Joe Dante. And it is gremlins to the new batch, um, which is, I think, Oh, are you, Oh, you're wearing a gremlin shirt. Oh, perfect. Brett. Thank you. Um, I mean, gremlins one is a classic. I watch it every Christmas. Uh, I think I talked about that at one one of our previous Christmas episodes, but um, I Gremlins Two: The New Batch is just a wonderfully clever. I uh, just throw everything at the wall and see what sticks. Movie, um, it's got gags on top of gags. Like Joe Dante, if you ever seen an interview with him, it's like if if a documentary needs to interview someone about film and they can't get Scorsese, they get Joe Dante. And mm-hmm. he he's seen a million movies and he sticks so many references in the Gremlins to the new batch and just like piles on. You want to talk about expanding on the rules of the movies. Like what movie has more iconic rules than Gremlins? Uh, and yeah. <laughs> and the uh, Gremlins 2 makes fun of the rules from the first one. It adds these whole all these new Gremlin designs. Like each Gremlin is so well defined as a character. Um, I. And then it's still got the heart. There's still Billy Peltzer and um, Gizmo and, and you know, you love them. And uh, it's got a wonderful Donald Trump parody in Clemp played by, uh, played by John Glover, who was in every eighties movie for a little while. Um, Christopher Lee is in it. Speaking of just him, Joe Dante and his old movie references. Um, but yeah, wonderful film. Just it's one of those movies like if i get talking about it i'm just gonna start listing gags but um uh i love it a lot and um oh one actor also that i wanted to mention that's in it is uh uh uh, what's his name he's the guy he's the kid who played short round in uh, oh key um wait is it the kid who played short round i'm gonna be so wrong if i'm I'm gonna be I'm going to be the self-hating racist here if I <laughs> hang on. I, I really need to find out. Um, oh no, I don't think it is. No, it's not. It's the guy. Um, oh no, it's no. Long Duck Dong. It's Long Duck Dong. I I knew it was some Getty kind Watanabe, of, not oh yeah, Getty Watanabe. All right, so starting over, dude. Uh, there's this role in the movie that's played. <laughs> I, and this is an actor whose name I knew right off the top of my head. Getty Watanabe uh, is in the movie who you would know as Long Duck Dong. He also plays a character in UHF, the Weird Al Yankovic movie. Um, mm-hmm. He's the character who keeps punching through walls and calling people stupid. Uh, 
but he's uh he's he plays like a photographer character and it's like even he has a little character arc in the movie where he has to take a picture to like he has to operate a camera at the end uh and save the day um so i'm sorry getty and i'm sorry uh Kui. Hui, Kwan. Hui, Kwan. Yeah. i apologize for getting the two of you mixed up i they i was thinking uh, short round and long duck dong get mixed up in my head sometimes because I remember being offended by both of them as a kid. So, ha! That's a good save. That's I a very circled it save. around. <laughs> but they're yeah, both yeah. great actors. Both, great job. <laughs> um, have you guys seen Gremlins 2? Oh, God, yes. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so- it came out when I was uh, a teenager. And, uh, yeah, that was definitely my wheelhouse for, you know, a, yeah, it's a classic. Just fun and stupid. <laughs> That's yeah. all I could say about it. It's so I, fun. God. I have to like restrain myself from buying all the Gremlins figures that are out now because <laughs> uh, they make so many of the different Gremlins from Gremlins 2. And I could spend a fortune on stuff that, uh, oh, God, yeah. Are you talking like Funko Pops? Or- yeah, uh, no, not the Funko Pops. Uh, are they the Nika or whatever? Yeah, those are the expensive yeah. ones. The Nika yeah, ones. the super expensive. That's the ones. same company though, right? No, no, no. I don't okay. think so. If they're Gremlins yeah. two toys specifically, that's uh, pretty ambitious of them because that's a movie that's still like it's kind of more of a cult movie than the original Gremlins because. Uh, it's one of those cases where it's like the opposite of what you'd expect from a studio manufactured sequel. And it was like, basically they told Joe Dante, it's going to happen with or without you. So he was like, all right, I guess I'll do it. And right. it's, it's a similar thing sort of to with like Toby Hooper with the Texas Chainsaw Massacre part two, where he's like, all right, well, I'm just going to make a parody of the first movie and it's going to be bonkers. And it's going to be something unlike any other director would ever do if they were told to do a gremlin sequel. Uh, you know, there's the part where they take over the movie like they get into the reels and the movie stops and it like, and then Hulk Hogan shows up. <laughs> There's like, uh, but yeah, Gremlins oh, yeah. too. Love it. Um, and uh, do we want to talk about our um, honorable mentions a bit before we get to our pitches? Um, yeah. And I was uh, correct. I um, believe they are by uh, Nika, but they're $35 each. And um Man, they do make a lot of them. Gremlins 2 specific. A lot of them come in two packs for like 70 some bucks. And uh, they're they're so So well made too. They've got like the googly eyed gremlin and the flying gremlin. And Uh, there's the flasher one. Uh, There's the uh, demolition gremlin. Uh, The uh, Greta, the... uh, sort of sex worker looking one and yeah, uh, yeah just uh but yeah there are funko pop ones as well brett you are correct on that yeah so i like gremlins too because i can watch it around halloween and christmas like oh. I, I i just I, you can watch it year round of course but it is yeah. just kind of like one of those like oh it, like you can watch gremlins whenever and it like fits the mood right yeah and I do know that the flasher is from the uh, the first Gremlins, not the. Uh, it's in the bar scene oh, with Phoebe Cates. Yeah. yeah. Oh man, I'm just looking at Entertainment Earth right now, looking at all the Gremlins <laughs> 2 merch, and I'm like, I want it all. Uh, uh, Christmas ideas. Well, yes. Put, put uh, 
honorable mentions. Uh, I'll go last. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Brett, what are some of your honorable mentions? Um, I got a couple. I got a, a really recent one and then an old one. I'll do the more recent one first, just because I'm sure you've both seen it at this point, or at least I'm pretty certain Johnny has. Um, a Quiet Place 2. Mm. You want to yeah. talk about, like, uh, it's almost in the vein of, you know, that 28 weeks later, it's like the same idea, but it's just like more time has passed. Don't go too uh, spoiler heavy because I do uh, want to see it. And um, glad you we will. It probably see it very soon i will say this though um it is basically you know the same i like the same general plot just more time has passed and it's exploring where the world is at at that point and i will say you know some people think the first one's better i think this one honestly is even if you don't think it's better i think it's at least as good as the first one yeah the first one is awesome yes First one's really good. I enjoyed the second one a little more too. I actually thought it was Ooh. more slickly directed. Um, I was, ple- this isn't a spoiler, but I was pleasantly surprised. I didn't know this, but that C- Cillian Murphy's kind of the main character of the movie, which Ooh. I didn't expect. Um, okay. And uh, speaking of 28 days later, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But yeah. No, I really, I, I didn't it. even make that connection until you pointed it out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, any other honorable mentions? Uh, yeah, but I did want to make a funny point is uh i can't watch the first one completely seriously uh so i used to run a show called cinema roast crunch yeah where uh we just roast movies basically and it was like a tournament and the scene in the first uh a quiet place where they're dancing downstairs and they put the headphones in and it's like this soft music because it's like a mystery science theater show brett mercer was on stage the second Uh uh-oh I'll wait for Mike because he'll get a kick out of this. Okay. We're at nine minutes. Should we do one more? Or do you think we could squeeze it out in less than nine? Um, I would say gotta... once Mike gets back, finish what you're saying, and then I'll I'll do another one, and that'll carry us through. Okay. Cool. Yeah. So. It's that scene in the first now. Okay. For the listeners, Mike is back. He's, he's doing multitasking like a true dad <laughs> right now. Uh, no, I'm working. There's no yeah. dad is <laughs> right now. Yeah, I know, but I just want people to know, uh, <laughs> but it's that scene where um, Emily Blunt and John Krasinski are dancing downstairs, kind of like slow dancing. And they put the headphones in the ear so they can slow dance. And Brett Mercer, a local comedian, he's on the microphone. The second uh, they put the headphones in, he just goes, what's up? What the fuckers? What the fucking? <laughs> <laughs> I can't watch that scene without thinking of Mark Marin. And he has somehow ruined that movie for me <laughs> for that reason. Uh, that's so funny. That's an incredible quip. To come that's up an, with. Yeah. That, that dude who doesn't even like movies. I think that's why he's so good at just making fun of them. I follow yeah. Brett. Brett and I follow each other on uh, Letterboxd. And so I see his movie reviews and they're all like shit posts, but they're all really funny. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's also just one of the funniest human beings that mm. he's the only one who doesn't believe it. <laughs> yeah. He is absolutely one of my current favorites of you know the detroit comics and i can't wait until he puts out an album or something because 
uh, more people outside of this area need to know about Brett yeah. Mercer. He is so damn funny. Yeah, yeah, he and it's funny. I say like, dude, why don't you go hang out more at clubs and like why? And then he always he always you think he'd have a genuine answer, but even he's just always on. He was just like, no, 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 man, it's cool. I'm playing hard to book. <laughs> it's just like don't ever change <laughs> just <Yeah>. ever <laughs> no, he's great um shout out to brett mercer you should have him on the podcast i should because <laughs> he doesn't watch movies yeah. yeah no he'll talk he'll just talk about space jam or like Airbud or something that yeah. he just recently watched for the first time <laughs> yeah um yeah. <clears throat> uh yeah no i definitely i definitely would um because i mean he has a letterboxd account which means you must at least watch movies, even if you don't like them. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, my other honorable mention, uh, I don't even love this movie per se, but like there's something about it that just makes me laugh. And it's Silent Night, Deadly Night 5. <laughs> and the only reason is because Mickey Rooney, Mickey Rooney, yeah, boycott- he boycotted <laughs> the first one and then he placed Santa in the fifth one. Yeah. And like I, knowing that, watching that movie just made it that much more enjoyable for me. It's just like, yeah, the second you get, th- it's just one of those things where it's just like you throw your own fucking morals out the window the second somebody gives you money. <laughs> like it's just like, yeah. yeah, did you really care that much, Mickey Rooney? Shut up. <laughs> it's interesting because it means they probably sought him out. They're like, who who is the one celebrity who was outspoken against the first movie? Let's get him. <laughs> yeah, that's it's just that movie alone, just for that hilarious casting choice, is just yeah. The Toy Maker, I think, is yeah. the name of it. It's Silent Night, Deadly Night Part Five, The Toy Maker. I just had it up on IMDb. I believe that's the subtitle. Um yeah. something like that. Yeah, the Toy Maker, correct. Uh was- 91. Was that your last honorable mention? Those are the only two, because uh, I was going to do one of my three picks uh, because you took uh, uh, Exorcist 3, one of my other movies that I said. I think it was 28 Weeks Later was going to be an honorable mention. So Okay. And I think I'm good. Yeah. Cool. All right, Mike, what if... Oh, sorry, you wanted to go last. All right, I'll go. Um, I, I So a couple of my honorable mentions, just one that were on the big list that I didn't get to... Uh, Friday the 13th part six is my favorite Friday the 13th movie. If you want to talk about pre new nightmare and scream movies, that's another one that's like super meta, very clever. Um, I think easily the best of the franchise, like the one that's the most like genuinely like well-directed and funny and, you know, like uh, where I like completely unironically. Um, uh, nightmare on Elm street three, the dream warriors, which I mentioned earlier, uh, is my favorite nightmare on Elm street movie. Personally, I think it's that perfect cross between scary Freddy and goofy Freddy. Uh, you know, welcome to mix of one and two is the third one. Yeah. 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 Uh, yeah, no, exactly. Um, one that's not really a sequel, so I didn't choose it, but cause it's not really a sequel in terms of the story, but I love Halloween three season of the witch. Yep. Uh, I watch it every Halloween. It's amazing. Uh, such a, f- in terms of Halloween atmosphere, if you want something to watch at this time of year, it's all about Halloween. It's got Halloween masks oh, that yeah. melt children's heads into bugs and snakes. Uh, wonderfully bizarre story with this guy who took pieces of Stonehenge to make these masks because he hates children. Um, 
played by Three the old more days till Halloween. Yeah. Halloween. <laughs> no, that'll get stuck in your head too if you watch the movie. <laughs> uh, Shamrock. And that guy, the, the bad guy is played by the old man from Robocop, and the lead actor is the great Tom Atkins, uh, who was also in a couple of John Carpenter's films too. And I think until the Halloween 2018, this was the last Halloween movie that John Carpenter was involved with, because uh, I think he was a, a ex- executive producer or something on it. Um, yeah. <laughs> also, I mean, if you want to go classic, Bride of Frankenstein, the original Bride of Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. Like, oh, I uh, completely forgot the Universal monster movies, because, like, yeah. you know. Bride, yeah, I, I thought think... your entire list was going to be, like... <laughs> black and white like universal go pretentious yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, the number I, one is a, a french movie uh <laughs> no i was like no. i'm gonna do gremlins to make mike feel better about himself uh, <laughs> <laughs> um no no but i bride of frankenstein i think is the best universal monsters movie um just yeah. uh really improves on the first one uh also like there's this some critic i forget who it was kind of said you can divide horror movies into being progressive or reactionary and mm-hmm. that is a movie that is uh i think where the first frankenstein's a little more reactionary uh bride of frankenstein is very like it's it's very queer uh i think it's been there's been a lot of like reclamation of it by uh, uh queer film critics too and kind of what it's saying and that also i think uh you know, directed by James Whale, and I think it's his best movie too. Um, uh, and then Texas Chainsaw 2, which I mentioned earlier, another just crazy, yeah. bizarre movie. And then another one I mentioned earlier, um, I also didn't count because they're not really sequels, but technically they are, I guess, are Dawn of the Dead and Day of the Dead, also George Merrill, just amazing films. So um, that's all of my honorable mentions. I I mean, there's so many franchises I love. I'm going to mention one a bit later when I get to my pitch, but the first pitch. Um, oh, wait, Mike. Mike, what were your honorable mentions? <laughs> high Goldfish again. See, this is a problem. You wanted to go last. You threw me off. And now, I'm, <laughs> now I'm High Goldfish. Uh, I did not choose Return of the Living Dead, but it is an honorable mention because like you said, it is not technically a sequel. Uh, it's just, you know, barely even connected to that universe. You know, it's just... Uh, you know uh but i love it it's punk rock it's fun it's quotable um i return of the living dead may be my favorite zombie movie um uh i have a friday the 13th movie on my list too not part six but you do present a excellent case for that exactly part four you are holding up four fingers uh, part four, uh, I think I've said it before. I am the same age as the Corey's. So <laughs> Corey Feldman, uh, you know, he was my avatar in that movie and, uh, you know, just Tommy killing Jason and, you know, Oh, Crispin so Glover too. Yeah. It's Crispin great. Glover. Uh, yeah, just, uh, I really have a sentimental spot for Halloween part four or sorry friday the 13th i'm stroking out <laughs> you guys smell burnt toast uh friday the 13th part four and uh my last honorable mention uh which could have easily made my list it's happy death day to you um i hope somehow a, a third happy death day movie can be made uh i think it 
does a great job of picking up and expanding on the universe and the lore and doing all the great stuff that we said an effective sequel does. And uh, it's not, I left it off because, you know, it's not technically a horror movie, you know, but it is a sequel to a horror movie. Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed that movie. It's a lot of fun. Um, all right. So I'm going to correct things with this final round. I will do my host duties as host and go first. Uh, and then Brett will feature and Mike will headline. Uh, so <laughs> but then you'll forget. And as soon as you're done, you'll say, all right, well, I'll that say, was all right. another episode. Of- <laughs> <laughs> Great. Thanks guys. Uh, you're, yeah, you're just here as pawns. You're just here as an audience <laughs> to hear me pontificate about my movie opinions. Um, no, I, Which I, I would uh, be totally fine with, <laughs> <laughs> which is, if that's the case, it would just be like, just listen to the podcast. I don't know. Like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, um, uh, my choice for my pitch, because uh, we're getting into our pitches, we all had to think of one horror sequel, whether it's part of a long-running franchise or just a sequel to one individual movie, something we would like to see. One that I've been thinking about for a little while now is uh, one franchise I haven't mentioned, and it's one of my favorites of all time, is uh, the Saw franchise. Um, I adore the Saw movies. I think they're incredible i think the first one by james wan is actually very good uh and then i think they get they're just those first seven movies the way the lore just piles on top of itself and it's like oh there was this person by the end of the movies you're like all right literally everyone in town was working with jigsaw because like every twist is like this person's been here the whole time too here's a flashback you didn't see before that they were here and then the traps just get more and more fun with each one I think by the time you get to Saw 3D, the final chapter, it's just pure bliss. Um, uh, Saw 6, also very underrated because it's a, a sort of a, about the healthcare industry. Uh, it's like a socio-political Saw movie. And so the last couple movies have been like soft reboots and they've been fine, but I feel like they haven't connected with those original movies the way that they should with uh, Jigsaw and with Spiral. So I want to see a Saw movie uh, that's basically Saw's version of Home Alone, um, where I want a movie where essentially my pitch is that John Kramer, played by Tobin Bell, um, who we need to bring him back. He wasn't in Spiral and he's the best part of these movies. Um, he, uh, they, the cops discovered that he had a ranch. He had this little house uh, that, uh, that he owned that like they, they found out about it and uh, they need to go raid the house for evidence uh because as we know about john kramer he had many many accomplices many of which haven't been caught yet uh and so they have to uh go into this house we follow a team of detectives i'm thinking a nice little motley crew of detectives they go into this house and it turns out the entire house is a trap uh and one great thing about john kramer as a character is he is the master of foresight and knows every single thing that everyone's ever gonna do and so he planned out this entire house long before his death and um everyone there is is there for a specific reason i think it's fun to have we can it's essentially like a home alone type of movie where they move to different parts of the house and there's different booby traps set up and different um different traps that they have to put themselves in. And and I think that's kind of the basis of the best Saw movies is when you have a group of people and they kind of get whittled down as it goes on. It's essentially like a slasher movie. And then I think that's where we can get back into the timeline and intercut. I think each trap 
uh, is a reference to another accomplished accomplice of uh, John Kramer. So we can get our flashbacks in each trap with uh, um, Carrie Elways's character, Dr. Gordon. Uh, you could get um, flashbacks to Amanda and uh, um, Hoffman and all of these previous characters that I think would bring the franchise back home and also stop trying to pretend that these movies are more than they are and that they're essentially about torturing people. And, um, and I also think it's good to have a movie that takes place in one night again. Like I think the best horror movies are the ones that are very confined to a short amount of time and like one place sometimes, not always one place, but like, I think it's just really good visceral type of storytelling. Keep it 80 to 90 minutes. And uh, that's the movie <laughs> that I would want to see. Who does Macaulay Culkin play in this? Uh, Macaulay Culkin's the lead, actually. He'll be the lead cop. It would be a nice oh, little good, 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 good. role reversal. You yes. Know? I love it. Yeah. I am green lighting your production. <laughs> Thank you. I know it's not as uh, clever as uh, my Jackie Chan Santa Claus pitch, but I. I that was so great. <laughs> I, but I do. Um, it's just more of like, oh, this is what I'd want to see. <laughs> you have a sequel for this saw? Uh, we got a, a title for this saw sequel? Um, I hadn't thought of a title. I'm, I'm still thinking of it. I, I, I want maybe I was. I mean, I thought it was just something very corny and normal, like Saw Comes Home. Uh, or something because I think also that has a, a thematic reason too because literally it takes place in his home but it's also I'm thinking hey we had our soft reboots and us trying to make saw something that's not we're going to bring you back home and do the weird timeline stuff and the flashbacks and have Tobin Bell and we're going to feel it's going to feel like a warm blanket like you're safe with us saw fans I don't know that's my thought okay anyway <laughs> uh Brett what's your pitch so I, ha I was conflicted because I actually didn't know there was uh, another VHS movie like in production. So like I had debated like, should I pitch that or the other idea I had? So I'll go with the other for the sake of this conversation. Um, one of my favorite recent horror movies uh, is a uh, Eli Roth produced, he didn't direct it, but I know he produced it. And it was a Shutter exclusive for a while, a movie called Haunt. Yeah. Uh, Mike, have you seen this movie? What it, I may have. Is it? Uh, it's a haunted uh, house movie. Okay. Yeah. It's a, like one of those event haunted house, like you go to at Halloween type movies yeah. or. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's just a bunch of kids. They want to go to a haunted house. They go and then they find out it's not what it's like. Is this real? And they slowly but surely build up that like, this is not what it seems kind of thing and it's one of my favorite it's a great halloween time sort of movie and i definitely think there's like room for uh, a franchise there yeah because you know that's the fun thing about horror is you can get so outside the box with it like uh you know at the end i'm not going to spoil what happens but like something happens at the end but you know horror you know can get away with like terrible logic or like impossible odds of like how is this person still doing this or how did they like how like they it defies like any all logic and i think just the idea of turning this into a franchise would be fun just because you know there's so many things you could do with the uh, haunted house and i think like getting creative kind of like the saw movies with like the kills and like adding the element of the actual haunted house and just a new group of kids maybe some like old faces from the movie make an appearance in the sequel. Uh, I, again, 
I don't really have ideas as far as like casting. I think the more unknown the actors are, the better in this scenario. Like maybe the people killing kids could be, you know, Kane Hodder or something, Mm -hmm. or just like kind of a, like a horror icon. But I think the kids like across the board should just be unknown actors, you know, have the, uh, the cute girl, the jock, the annoying or the nerdy friend, the one who kind of prevails is like the final girl, yeah. you know, there's a lot of ways you could go with it, but I think that for this conversation, I think that's what I'm going to be pitching. I believe you recommended it. Cause I'm looking at the stills from it and it looks very familiar. I probably did recommend it at some yeah. point. It also does not look completely unlike a Slipknot concert. <laughs> yes. It's I Haunt is really fun and I think it caters itself well to a sequel because it is that kind of like fun, you know, very Halloween-y, very like watch with your friends type of horror movie. And then also um also a movie that without spoiling anything does kind of leave you with some questions. Like you yeah. do kind of leave it going, like, I don't know if I totally get what was happening here or like what the motivations were and stuff like that. And so I think, I think that's a good, a really good choice. I'm on board. Um, I'm going to bring it up to Allison and have her say, yeah, I'd already <laughs> recommended that to you. And we watched it and you liked it. Remember we watched it say, five oh, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's your favorite We watched movie. it five times after the VHS trilogy. <laughs> yeah. Now, now you guys know what it's like to be married to me. Uh um, I wish I had your memories. My uh, here's what I'm pitching to you guys coming to a theater or streaming in 2022 directed by Shinichiro Ueda from one cut of the dead. It is. I know what you did 25 summers ago, and it is a um, it's about a crazed fan who's um uh, starts killing the cast members of the first I know what you did last summer movie at a 25th anniversary Fangoria event. And, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of meta talking about how sequels suck and they're just cash grabs and the best, uh, horror movies nowadays are the current indie ones like Midsommar or get out that, um, you know, are standalone in themselves and, you know, almost impossible to make a sequel of. Uh, We can even get Kevin Williamson to uh, co-write it uh, with uh, Shinichiro. And um, I'm probably pronouncing his name way wrong, but you guys know who I mean. And um, so, uh, yeah, 20 minutes in and all the cast members, uh, for the most part, uh, except for one, are dead. And then you find out that the studio is pitching a sequel. Uh, oh, and it's all done in one cut, too. Uh, and then, right. uh, yeah, uh, we find out that the studio is, you know, given a truckload of money to the stars of the first movie to get them to do the sequel 25 years later. And then uh, and then it ends on 20, 25 minutes of the making of the first 20, 25 minutes of the movie. So, uh, yes, I know yeah. what you did 25 summers ago. What, who's the cast member who makes it out of the first 20 minutes? Uh, I think this time it's going to have to be Freddie Prinze Jr. Freddie Prince Jr. Because yeah. uh, I like that he gets so heated when talking about Star Wars now. And uh, <laughs> he's, 
<laughs> he's so lucky that he's handsome because when I hear him talk about and defend Star Wars and the prequels, I'm just like, oh, dude, if you were not impossibly good looking, you would be such a virgin. <laughs> so. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, so I've seen One Cut of the Dead. Have you seen One Cut of the Dead, Brett? I don't even think I've heard of that. <sighs> oh, it's it's on Shudder, I think. Okay. It's yes. incredible. One yes. Cut of the Dead. Yes. All right. Great meta zombie Yeah, do movie. not, I wish I had known that you had not seen it, and uh, because I spoiled big things just now, but... Uh, Give me three days, I'll have... 20 other things on my mind don't okay worry. but please watch it and um don't research anything about it ahead of time just go in and trust that johnny and i have recommended it yeah. and um that you will not be disappointed is it a japanese comedy horror yes yeah. yes okay yeah it's incredible it's very clever and very interesting <laughs> adding it to my watch list I may be suffering from recency bias, even though I it's been a good six plus months since I've seen it. But right now I want to say it's the best horror movie I've ever seen. All Whoa. right. I don't know what to say. No, it's like, well, man, somebody this is like... somebody didn't see Urban Legends. <laughs> you know what? <laughs> this probably is recency bias because for our podcast, Allison made me watch Joyride last night. <laughs> yeah. so. I like Joyride, actually. Oh, Joyride. Yeah, yeah, it's my new. I have to get all my Star Wars tattoos covered up with Joyride tattoos. So. Just get Steve Zahn all over your body. Oh, yeah. My Boa Fett tattoo is now going to be a Steve Zahn tattoo. <laughs> yep. uh, no, I, I'm actually glad we ended up with you headlining because that was the biggest most ambitious pitch of the entire day i think that was very like yeah the, the meta you sequel. set the bar very high with your jackie chan christmas movie <laughs> yeah like i yeah like you brought your a game at christmas time so i felt as though i really needed to uh you know try hard yeah now I have to bring the heat the next time we do like I don't know what's next Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah. Well, should we get? Should we plan a Christmas one? What we want to do for Christmas? Do we have a? Oh, oh yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, what was the last one? We did Santa Clauses. We did the best Santa. Oh Clauses. man. Oh, what, um, else, what else happens in Christmas movies? Uh, good question. Uh, should we? I do mean, worse? we could. Oh, so I, I was going to say, I feel like there's enough Christmas horror movies that that could be its own <laughs> its own conversation, but I don't know how many of you guys have seen. Mm. Did I we mean, do I... that the first time? No. 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 I mean, we just talked about enough Christmas yeah. horror that I yeah. thought, like, hmm. Oh, man. Yeah, because I feel like my... At one point in time, I was talking about rare exports or something. So, yeah. Well, you rec you mentioned. I actually felt really bad about this because we did a, I did a Christmas special with, I think it was Brett and mine's Christmas special. I think we did this together. And oh yeah 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 yeah. You yeah, were yeah. like, you're definitely going to mention rare exports. I'm like, of course. And then I totally forgot to mention rare exports. So then I did a, a mini episode uh like yes. the next week where I, I did a whole thing talking about rare exports i remember now yeah that is a great movie um what could be a good uh yeah um oh 
<laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't should know we just else. should we just write a Christmas movie together? Like that's the <laughs> podcast. The podcast is the movie. We just read out the scripts. No, like the, we break it up into like three parts. Is like we come up with an idea until, and then once we come together to think, okay, that's a good enough idea. The second half is just casting it. Very interesting. Or, um, or for Thanksgiving, should we do dysfunctional family movies? <laughs> yeah. Mm. Movies mm-hmm. about dysfunctional families? Uh, sounds like an excuse to actually include Texas Chainsaw Part 2. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> um we can we can talk about it more if you want to get because I'd, I'd hate to like commit to something on air and then yeah. for all of us later to be like oh no that's a shitty idea and then like yeah. but we we said it on air so we have to do it right. okay I think we could think of something though we yeah it's just we've done all like the 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 obvious things yeah mm-hmm. there's some very non obvious idea in there um what if we did. Um, we maybe I mean if you wanted to do like worst Christmas movies that might be fun because there's a lot of bad ones. Is that you, Brett? Yeah, there's like somebody's fire alarm is going off oh. nearby, but it's since stopped going off. Yeah. So what, just what make you... sure that it wasn't. It's not <laughs> in our house. Just making sure I wasn't making sure a roommate wasn't cooking pancakes or something. Um, what if we did? Because we touched on it briefly in other episodes. What if we did movies that aren't technically, or Christmas movies that aren't technically Christmas movies? Okay. Like, um, like we touched on in Bruges a little bit, how yeah. it's not technically a Christmas movie, but it's kind of a Christmas movie in a sense. That could be fun. So we're just going to talk about Embruges, For like Embruges the fourth time. and Die Hard. Yeah. I've actually... Like the fourth time. One just popped into my head. Like, I think there's a couple, like maybe just movies people don't think of as Christmas movies that that we watch. Maybe like personal Christmas movies. I don't know. Like uh, whether or not it is an actual Christmas movie or if you just associate it with Christmas too. I feel like we could maybe do that. That or we could do best bad guys in Christmas movies. Or best villains yeah. in Christmas movies. Also, I mean, you mentioned this earlier, Brad, but I would be happy to do a, be- a like a worst Christmas movies <laughs> episode because you, because you keep coming back to that. Yeah, I'd be down. Do you, yeah, why not? Do you want to do worse? I feel yeah. like I feel like because that's a more obvious one, and then we could eventually whittle down to some of the weirder ideas that we came up with today. Sure. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yeah. In a future year. <laughs> yeah. All right. Okay. Right. Worst Christmas movies. Worst Christmas movies. Probably since we're not pitching anything, maybe a top five. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Well, I this was a pleasure as always. I've been looking forward to this ever since we first talked about it. Um, and I this like there some some episodes of this podcast are like I got to prep a lot and I stress over it, and this is one where I just like as you can tell I didn't prep at all. Uh, <laughs> in yeah. case you can tell from everything uh but you know it's always it's just always a blast even though i produce you know 90 podcasts uh this is one of the most fun things i i get to do sitting behind a microphone i i love 
talking about movies with you guys uh now that you know we're able to start going out more whenever i've gone to ann arbor i've been so excited when i run into brett and uh yeah you guys are both absolutely fantastic and uh this is a, a ton of fun for me likewise speaking of in person if we plan ahead a little bit better maybe we can do the christmas episode in person sounds great yeah Yeah. finally see your blu-ray collection in person yeah Mm -hmm. i'm so excited i have it all alphabetized and everything i'm really excited for you guys to see it someday you got to pick up every stitch Mm -hmm. must be the season of the witch must be the season of the All right, everybody, that wraps up the final episode of the spooky season of 2021. Thank you so much for listening, as always. And, of course, a big thank you to my guests, Mike and Brett. I could not have done it without you. Um, Follow both of them. They're both incredible comedians, just wonderful guys. Uh, Follow Comedy Rumble, Brett Hayden's Comedy Rumble. Uh, You can find them on all the social media stuff. Uh, Specifically on Instagram, you'll hear news about the next Comedy Rumble. They've got one coming in December. Uh, so keep your eyes out for that. And, uh, for Mike, you can listen to one of his many podcasts. He co-hosts, um, you made me watch with his wife, Allison, who's also been on this podcast before. It's a wonderful movie podcast. Uh, so if you're a fan of this, you'll definitely be a fan of them. I had the pleasure of being on to talk about anatomy of a murder one time and it was wonderful. Um, also, he uh, co-hosts Truthcast with Alex Bozanovic, which I've also been on uh, a while ago, too. And uh, also just like uh, that's an incredible podcast. It's like this uh, improvised soap opera. Um, it's just really wonderful. It's kind of become this whole new level of performance art at this point. So uh, check out both of those. Thank you again, Mike and Brett. Thank you, uh, the listeners, for listening, of course, as always. Um, if you're a fan of this podcast and you haven't yet, you can follow us on Instagram. Instagram and Twitter at We Are Movies Pod. You can like the Facebook page, We Are Movies. You can follow me on Instagram, Twitter, and Letterboxd at Johnny Mockney, J O H N N Y M O C N Y. That is all I have for you today. I will be back with you very soon. And until then, happy Halloween. <laughs>